Amen. Thank you, Curdy, for the singing of that great hymn. Take your Bible, please, with me tonight. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. Children, you're dismissed. Philippians chapter 2. Last Sunday, we had our Singspiration time. And with Singspiration time, it went a little bit long. We were enjoying singing. We had a lot of great requests for songs. So I did not preach the message I had intended to preach last Sunday night. I just gave an introduction to the introduction of that message and a little bit out of Philippians, talking about the book of Philippians as the book of joy, the book of joy. But we emphasized last night that there is a methodology, a pathway to joy that is re, uh, revealed in the book of Philippians. Philippians, that is this, proper thinking, proper thinking. You cannot be joyful unless you think biblically. Let me say that again. You cannot be joyful unless you think biblically. And I think I preached for less than 15 minutes last Sunday night, but I had a number of people contact me during the week and said, hey, that was really a blessing. I'm not sure if they meant the message or the length. I'm not 100% sure, but, uh, but uh, if you're looking for that length, you're not getting that again tonight. But it, it is interesting because the way I think will dictate how I feel. Now, that's, that's the bottom line. That's the bottom line. Now, there are other factors that are possible. But by and large, most people struggle in their emotions because of the thought patterns that they have allowed to continue in some ways for decades. And people are like, well, <coughs> past money, I can't help my thinking. The Bible, all the way through the Bible, assumes that you can. Philippians 4, verse 8, whatsoever things are pure, lovely, true, those things, think on those things. Paul says you have a choice about what you're going to think. You have a choice about how you are going to think. And so in order to have joy in my life, my thinking has to be right. Now, tonight's message is entitled Complaining, the Socially Acceptable Sin. If we were to look for an Old Testament counterpart to what I have to say this evening, we would have to look no further than Numbers chapter 11. In Numbers chapter 11, the Hebrew people have been delivered from what the Bible describes as the hard bondage of Egypt. They had been enslaved. They had lived in inhumane conditions in the land of Egypt. <clears throat> they had done this for generations. They finally received deliverance under Moses, who led them out by the strong arm of the Lord in great victory from Egypt. But it wasn't too long ere they were free from Egypt. That in Numbers chapter 11, it is recorded that the people began to complain. The word, by the way, that is used is the word murmur, the word murmur. Some of you from your English class remember a term that your English teacher threw out, onomatopoeia. Remember that term? Sure, sure. Uh, what does that mean? It means the, the sound of the word gives its definition. The meaning is the same as the sound. That's the idea, <coughs> to murmur. Murmur is not a loud complaint. Murmur is an under-the-breath complaint. And the children of Israel <coughs> began to murmur against Moses and against God. What, what was the problem, Pastor Monty? The problem was the manna. They weren't satisfied with the manna. Now, at first they were all excited about it because you talk about a welfare system. Every morning they got up, all they had to do was walk out and get it. I suppose some of them thought it should be delivered like DoorDash to their tent. But, but, uh, but it wasn't. They had to go and get it. They couldn't keep it overnight. But, but, uh, but what an easy thing to do. All you got to do is gather your food. But very quickly, they got tired of the manna, the bread that God had provided. Now, let me just make a statement. I don't understand people that are so Pollyannish and princess-like that they can't eat the same thing twice. I don't understand. I had that for lunch. I can't have it for supper. My attitude has been this. It was good enough for lunch. It'll be good enough for supper. And by the way, by the way, Pastor Monty, you can't have Mexican four times a week. Why not? 
Why not? It's absolutely delicious. I love Mexican. I could eat, if I had to choose a cuisine to just settle on and be stuck with, it would be Mexican. I just love it. It's spicy. It's flavorful. I could eat it over and over again. But some people are real particular about it. Well, you know, I had a steak three weeks ago. It's long gone, baby. Have another one. But they were particular. They were eating this bread and they didn't like it. They complained. God's judgment was very severe on the matter of complaining. Have you ever thought about this? God's judgment was severe on Sodom and Gomorrah. How many know that's true? Well, that's true. God's judgment on his people for the sin of complaining was severe. At one point sent a plague into the camp and multiple thousands died of the sin of complaining. God takes complaining on a very serious level. In fact, the Old Testament reveals to us that the Hebrew people of the Exodus, they complained, listen to this, on 14 separate occasions. This is just the Exodus people. They they left Egypt. On 14 separate occasions, they complained about something. Complained about something. Well, your Bible is open to Ephesians chapter 2. You say, well, Pastor Marty, did the church at Ephesus, or pardon me, Philippians chapter 2, did the church at Philippi, did the church at Philippi have a problem? It's interesting. Some of the New Testament churches, we know they had a problem. You, you think about, how many know the church at Corinth had a problem? Church at Corinth was a mess. Paul worked to straighten that church out. It was a mess. Then there's another church listed in the book of Revelation, the church of Laodicea, the, the, the lukewarm church, the church that was rich and increased in goods and had need of nothing. God said, you, you've got no burden for me. You've got no passion for me. There are some churches in the New Testament that are kind of, they have a bad reputation. Not the church at Philippi. The church at Philippi loved the Apostle Paul. They took up a significant offering for Paul and yet scattered within this epistle that talks about joy and thinking properly so we can achieve joy, Paul is admonishing them concerning unity and concerning complaining. In both the Old and the New Testament then, God's people have a penchant, and I think this is true of human nature. God's people have a penchant. Human nature is to not be satisfied. Human nature is to complain. Now listen carefully. If I am complaining out my mouth... It means that there is a complaint in my heart or my thinking that is coming out of my mouth. And if I'm thinking wrongly, and a complaint is evidence of wrong thinking, and we all do it, we all do it, we all do it. Pastor Marty, do you ever complain? I whine. I whine. You know whining is worse than complaining? It really is. I whine, I complain. I mean, I'm freely confessing this to you. I'm I'm no better than anyone in this room. But when I'm doing that, it requires that my mind be set upon things that are negative. It requires, complaining always requires, that my mind eliminate God from the equation and enthrone myself in the privileged position. I want you to hear this now. Every time I comply, it's just awful, the things that we have to endure in this society. I waited seven minutes at Chick-fil-A. That kind of negativity. By the way, fast food should be fast. Number one, you should not be eating it. It's processed garbage. Now, Chick-fil-A is the exception because it's Christian. Those chickens born again. (laughs) 
we complain about everything, and yet we have it so good, and our complaining is evidence of the fact that we've completely forgotten about God, and whatever the circumstance is, we've pushed God out of the equation. Now, the church at Philippi was a great church, but they had this problem. Look, if you will, Philippians chapter 2. He admonishes in verse number 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Don't, don't be bickering and don't do it to glorify yourself. But he says, in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. He's promoting unity. He's promoting one-mindedness. And he's saying, don't do anything in a spirit of strife. A spirit of strife is, is not something that is acceptable. Don't do anything in a spirit of strife. Then he also admonishes in verse number 14. Look at that. Drop down to verse 14. Do all things, Paul says, to this good church, this generous church. He says, do all things without murmurings and disputings. Does everyone see that? A disputing is an argument. Don't murmur <coughs> and don't dispute. Do you get the hint that in this great chapter that's dedicated to our thinking with the purpose of bringing us joy, Paul is saying, hey church, there is a penchant, there is a tendency for all of us to complain, and perhaps Paul had caught wind of some of the little twitterings, the murmurings that were going on in the church, and Paul wanted to deal with those things. Now look, if you will, at verse number 5. I'm going to go through the passage, and then I want to talk very practically tonight. Philippians 2, verse 5. Remember these words, we hit on it last week briefly, let this mind be in you, <coughs> which was also in Christ Jesus, okay? Have the same thinking of Jesus. What is it? who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Why, he is God. Christ is God. Get that in your mind. But, verse number seven, this is the mind you're supposed to have right here. But made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. What is that? That's humility. That mirrors, if you will, the verse, let each esteem other better than themselves. It mirrors the idea of verse number three in lowliness of mind. He made himself, the Bible says in verse seven, of no reputation. He could have because he is God. This morning in the message, we could have given you many examples of this in the Gospels, but when the demon in the synagogue at Capernaum, when the demons came out of the man, they immediately recognized who Jesus was, and they said, you're the Holy One of God. And Jesus said, quiet, 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 quiet. Don't be saying that over and over again. Now, part of that is because Jesus did not want demons testifying as to who he was because of who they were. That's part of it. But it also is the fact that Jesus came in lowliness. He came as a servant. He made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. The transcendent God takes upon himself in the incarnation human flesh. And being found in fashion as a man, the God-man, second member of the Trinity, God the Son, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient. God, obedient. God the Son, obedient to whom? The will of God the Father. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now that's the mind that we're supposed to have. Lowliness of mind is illustrated in the person of Jesus Christ in his first coming. That is our thinking that we're to have. And so he admonishes us concerning other people. We're to put other people first in their opinions and in their ideas, sometimes in their preferences. 
And Jesus became obedient as far as death, and it wasn't just a quick, simple, painless death. It was the death of the cross. That is the mentality that we're to adopt as Christians. In other words, listen carefully, I ought to be willing in life to take the back seat when necessary. And yet we all, and and I do this too, I'm not preaching at you, I'm preaching with you. We all have this tendency to have ourselves so up on the throne of our exalted rights that any time we feel those are infringed upon, that any time we feel that someone has wronged us in the slightest way, we let out with a string of complaining, of criticism, and of dislike. Now, ladies and gentlemen, listen carefully. That is unacceptable in the eyes of God. Now, right away, someone says, oh, Pastor, right now, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. What about constructive criticism? I believe in that. Constructive criticism is not murmuring. Do you know why? Constructive criticism goes directly to the person who has the power to fix the problem. Murmuring does not do that. Murmuring whispers to someone in the lobby of the church. Murmuring pulls someone aside into a classroom and with a low voice says, blah, 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 blah. And when the respondent, the hearer, might say, well, have you talked to the preacher about it? Have you talked to Pastor Wall about it? Have you talked to Pastor Ogden about it? Oh, no, no, I've not talked to them about it, but I'm talking to you. That is not constructive criticism. Constructive criticism comes right to the person and says, Pastor Monty, you know, could we fix this? By the way, I saw one of the men in our church. I love this. I love this. I saw one of the men in our church yesterday with a can of WD-40. It was either yesterday or Wednesday night. can't remember. can't remember anything. He had a can of WD-40. There was a hinge or something that was squeaking. You know what he was doing? He was spraying that hinge down or whatever the problem was. Pastor Monty, did he have permission? Y'all have blanket permission. If it's broke, fix it. Just fix it. What, who's going to buy the WD-40? Bring your own, cheapo. Bring your own. You just sprayed it down, and everything was fine. So constructive criticism always goes right to the person that's, that's being criticized. Now, you, you have an issue with your spouse. If you have an issue with your spouse, don't go to your mama. That's a real sure way to cause major problems in your marriage. You have an issue with your spouse, go to your spouse. Well, I, 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 Pastor Ronnie, I just can't talk to him. Well, you're going to have to. You're going to either talk to him or divorce him. It's, it's not going to last if you don't talk to him. Okay, You're going to have to at some point. But we tend in our lives to want to go around the problem, listen carefully, because it is easier to gripe than it is to fix something. It's easier to get people on our side than it is to really address an issue. And God's people in both the Old and the New Testament, they they struggled with this in a big way. Now, when Jesus became obedient unto death, I'm at verse number 8, Philippians 2. When Jesus became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, look what the result was. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him. Because of the death of the cross, God hath also, (coughs) and because of his obedience, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth, things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wow, what a victory. From the humiliation of a bloodshed death on Calvary's cross 
to exaltation by God at the right hand of the throne of God the Father, to all of the kingdoms of the world in the future, and everyone in this earth bowing before him and confessing him as Lord. What a journey. Now look at verse number 12. Wherefore, brethren, because of this, because of the mindset of Jesus that you're supposed to adopt, wherefore, brethren, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only. See, it's, it's easy to obey when Big Daddy's around, the Apostle Paul. It's easy to obey then, but he says, If you always obey, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God is working in our hearts and your salvation and your sanctification and all of the means of grace that God has given us for these things. It's all bringing us to this point of perfection one day when we see Jesus. Wow, Pastor Monty, it's it's, it's really follow the mindset of Christ. Christ was exalted. One day we will shed this sinful flesh. One day we will be exalted with him. Wonderful. Look at verse number 14. This high level of spiritual existence, this spiritual plane of being like Jesus. Verse number 14, do all things without murmurings and disputings. Huh? Well, wait, 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 wait. We were talking about being like Jesus and working on our own salvation. We were talking about eternal sanctification when we see Christ. We're talking about the difference between the humiliation of Christ, his obedience and his ultimate exaltation. And then all of a sudden, Paul just throws that in. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Because a key part of our sanctification is what we say that influences other people. It's key. And if you're saying it, you're thinking it. And if you're thinking it, you're negative. And do you want to know why you have a bad attitude? And I'm preaching to me. I'm preaching to me. I'm not saying you, but I'm saying you. But I'm preaching to me. Why, why do I have a bad attitude? Because I'm thinking along the lines of negativity and complaint. And that negativity and complaint that I am allowing to think, go run through my mind, is coming out my mouth in the form of murmuring. And when it's doing that, it's not only polluting me, because it's already robbed me of my joy. Complaining people are not joyful people. It's already robbed me of (coughs) of all my joy. But now I'm spreading my misery as far as I possibly can because of the old adage, misery loves company. So Paul says to them, it's very key, verse 14, do all things without murmurings and disputings. You're busy working out, not working for, you're working out your own salvation, you're, you're being sanctified, the Lord is working in you, he is working in you to, to cause you to will and then to do of his good pleasure. He says along with that, Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Pastor Monty, what is the result of doing all things without murmuring and disputing? I'm glad you asked. Look at verse 15. That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life. What is all that about? It's directly connected to not murmuring and not arguing. Directly connected. What is it? That he may be blameless. Well, Pastor Ronnie, I'm blameless. I have very high standards. Yeah, but what about what's coming out of your mouth? Do you see what I'm saying? My blamelessness is attached to the attitude of my heart that is always manifest out my mouth. That he may be harmless. Did you know that if you're a chronic complainer, you're harmful? You're not only harming yourself, 
you're harming every human relationship you have. Mom and Dad, can I say something to you? I just need to say it. I hope you'll hear me on this. The pastors in the church were not perfect. Very far from it. Today was blooper Sunday. (laughs) By the way, let me just say this. All y'all, bunch of junior hires. Every last one of you. I thought I could get, well, anyway, let's just move on. Because I don't want to start complaining. (laughs) There's no such thing as a perfect church, no such thing as a perfect pastor, but if you undermine the church and you undermine the pastor and the youth pastor and the assistant pastor, if you do that at home in front of your kids, it will be well nigh impossible for me to ever help them in the future. I'm just saying that. And then, Pastor Ronnie, you know, blah, 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 blah. Well, come talk to me about it. Because if you've got a legitimate complaint, I'm happy to listen to it. But it's poison on your kids. It's poison on your kids. It's poison on your neighbors. It's poison on your coworkers. Even if we have a legitimate complaint, the complaint should be brought directly to the person to whom that can handle, that can fix the complaint, and, and not be spoken out loud because we're harmful. If I'm going to be blameless and harmless, I need to not be involved in murmurings and disputings, that I may be blameless and harmless, the Son of God, reflecting who Jesus is, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. That little children's song, This Little Light of Mine. You can't hold a candle and sing this little light of mine and have a continual string of complaining coming out of your mouth. Now, I'm talking about everything. I'm talking about church. I'm talking about work. I'm talking about home. I'm talking about marriage. I'm talking about, I'm talking about what you eat, what, what your wife fixed for dinner or didn't fix for dinner, just a, a, a myriad of things. We could think of a thousand things to complain of, okay? And, honey, it's just too cold in here. I'm freezing to death. Well, no, you're not. You're not freezing to death. You're still talking, unfortunately. And uh, just kidding, just joking, just joking. When we murmur, we're very harmful. We don't think it is. We don't think it is because, man, and I love people. I like, my pants running. I'm just the kind of person who speaks my mind. You're so delightful. It's fine to speak your mind, but your mind should reflect the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Am I right about that? And even reflecting the mind of Christ, there was humility of mind. Remember the passage we just read? Are you following what I'm saying here? So, so if, you're, if you're, well, I just speak my mind. Well, make sure you're thinking biblically. By the way, if you are thinking biblically and you speak your mind, have at it. And more power to you. I want to give you a couple observations, if I could, about murmuring, about complaining, and then we'll close the service tonight. First of all, I, I want to say this. When a person is a chronic complainer, it comes from dissatisfaction with life in general. When a person is a common complainer, these are just some observations I've made over decades of Christian ministry. When a person is a complainer, a chronic complainer, it comes from dissatisfaction with life in general. For some people, it's a matter of desiring something that is new and different and having some level of variety in their life. They're never really satisfied with something for very long. The advertisers of our age take full advantage of the spirit of our age by causing us dissatisfaction with the things that we own. But people that complain are generally speaking not happy about anything. By the way, very, very difficult to please a complainer. Can I, can I step out on a limb for a minute? I'm going to do it. I don't care. Ladies, stop it. Don't run your husband ragged 
with your complaints because eventually he'll get so tired of it and be incapable of fulfilling every little want and whim that he will just stop altogether. It is very possible, and ladies, I'm trying to help you. I'm not being ugly, but I'm trying to help you. It is very possible that the things you say, well, my husband never listens to me. Do you want to know why? It has all become white noise. And by the way, the, the, the gender role can be reversed here. Okay, understand something. The gender role, you can reverse the gender role because I've, <laughs> I've known some men whew, who could complain any woman right under the table. I know that, okay? I'm just using this as an illustration. The simple truth of the matter is, if we live our lives in a general state of dissatisfaction and complaint, all of that eventually becomes white noise to where it not only affects him or her anymore, but it rolls right off like water off a duck's back. Complaining comes from dissatisfaction with life in general. It's often, by the way, fueled by jealousy. Jealousy. Jealousy is driven today by social media. Often complaining comes when we want to blame others for our circumstances. Well, they get up in the morning. Are you hungry? Honey, I'm hungry. Go out and gather the manna. Are we having manna again? Yeah, we're having manna again. By the way, the perfect food. It just had all the nutrients and no carbs. Manna was carb-free. It was (laughs) keto-friendly. Just made that up. Are we having that again? They went out and they gathered that manna, but then they started murmuring. They said stuff like this. You know, remember back in Egypt, those leeks and garlic? By the way, let me say something. Leeks and garlic and cucumbers you got to be a pretty sad person to have great memories of leeks, garlics, and cucumbers. you got, you got to be pretty sad. you got to be, you know, you're, you're, really, you're really a good whiner if you can say, I'd rather have a chunk of garlic raw than eat this manna. You are a professional complainer when you get to that level. They're saying, you remember back in Egypt land how good we had it? By the way, they forgot about how bad they had it. Remember how good we had it? You know, this manna stuff, you know. And and they're just, the guys are out there gathering their manna because that's what guys do, you know. Hey, there's some over here. I'll pick this up off the ground. Oh, there's some over here. Yeah, shake the ants off that piece. Okay, yeah, there's some over here. They put it in these baskets they're gathering in. Hey, Bob, you know, you think this manna is, you know, is this ever going to stop? Yeah, Joe, I, I don't know about this man. I'm so sick of it. Aren't you sick of it? I'm so sick. And, and, and all the murmuring. Well, Pastor Monty, they were tired of it. Who are they murmuring against? Well, they murmured against Moses for leading them out of slavery. But you know who they were ultimately murmuring against? They're murmuring against God. They had become dissatisfied with their lot in life in general. Their expectations had become too high. So complaining comes from dissatisfaction with life in general. Secondly, complaining comes... Because I want attention. So when I complain or murmur about something, it's often because I want attention not to fix the problem. I don't get any attention if I go to the source of the problem. They're like, oh, wow, I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, you know, we could fix that. No problem. Issue solved. There's no attention to be had there. But if I can gain a little cadre of listeners, if I can put together a little bit of an audience, I kind of become the center of attention. You, we wouldn't complain, we wouldn't say it if there wasn't something to listen to. By the way, which also means that, that I as a person should be able to shut down complaining right away. Well, have you gone to the boss about that? You know, the boss can probably solve that. Well, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to approach him. Then why are you approaching me? Do you see what I'm saying? You can shut that down if you want to. 
if you give ear to complaint, that gives an audience and that feeds people's desire, their wanton desire for attention. Complaining often comes because I just want attention. You wouldn't say anything if there was no one around to hear it. Complaining, by the way, is always verbalized. It's murmuring. It always comes out the mouth. Complaining is verbalized. That's the nature of it. Complaining always seeks to win converts. That's the whole purpose, to get someone else who could be satisfied dissatisfied. Complaining oftentimes comes from people's mouths who have a penchant for drama, a tendency toward drama anyway. They want attention. Dramatic. Complaining rarely troubles itself with a meaningful solution to the issue because it's happy just to talk. Talk, 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 talk. Undermine, pick apart. And again, we're in favor of constructive criticism. By the way, husbands, you should listen to what I'm going to say. Husbands, you ought to be in favor of the constructive criticism of your wife. Kelly and I a long time ago agreed, because we watched people as they aged, they, they, sometimes people get to slipping mentally. And Kelly and I, I know not, no one in this room, but Kelly and I agreed, because we watched that. In, in some marriages, what happens is when one partner or the other begins to slip mentally, rather than address the issue, the other partner just covers for them, and it gets worse and worse. Kelly and I made an agreement. I said, Kelly, I said, if I ever think you're crazy, I'm going to tell you. In fact, I did so just last week. And no, 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 no. And, and I said, Kelly, if you ever think I'm crazy, if you ever think I'm crazy, you need to tell me. She did so this morning, right after church, as a matter of fact. <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> but in all level of seriousness, that's helpful. That's helpful because you're open to the hearing of another person. I, as a husband, need to be open to my wife's constructive criticism. It's incredibly helpful when she critiques things. She critiques things about my preaching. She'll critique things about, oh, that series gone on long enough. You're really pounding that one into the ground, aren't you? Then I have to change sermons. That's okay. She writes them anyway. But no, just kidding. Just kidding. Complaining. Um, should seek a meaningful solution, not just complaining. You know what the complaining does is it, it, it helps me. I want attention, and complaining helps me fit in with other negative people. Have you ever been around someone that's a complainer and then caught yourself agreeing with them just to be sociable? I have. I have. That's poison to the soul. And even if it's a socially acceptable thing to do in a particular little crowd among the biddy committee or something like that, even if it's a socially acceptable thing to do, it's not something we should be doing because God really condemns it. Let everything be done without murmurings and disputings, Paul warned the church at Philippi, a church that really wanted to have joy, and joy comes from right thinking, and right speaking comes from right thinking and I'm less likely to complain if I'm thinking right. Let me give you a third thought. Complaining comes because of ingratitude. Complaining comes because of ingratitude. Um, have you ever seen that commercial? I think it's a funny TV commercial. I don't remember what it's for, some product. But it's funny, where somebody walks into the room and there's some stinking, awful thing in the room, and uh, the person is so used to it because they live in that house that they've gone nose blind. Do you all remember that commercial? They describe it as nose blind. I, I had a roommate when I was in college at Bob Jones, and he was really grossly overweight. It was disgusting, to be honest with you. And on top of the grossly overweight, he, he never used deodorant and did not shower. It was utterly 
horrible. People would walk into my dorm room and they'd be like, Monty, it stinks in here. <laughs> I mean, not the normal guy's dorm room stink. I mean, this was on, this was on a really high level of stink. It was a real high level of stink. And I said, I know, I've talked to my roommate. I talked to him, and he won't, he won't take a shower. You can't get... One time, by the way, a bunch of us guys hauled him into the shower and forced the matter. Oh, I know you can't do stuff like that today. I understand how everyone's so sensitive. But we did! Pastor Monty, what did you do about it? Well, I talked to him about it. He wouldn't change. I went to the store, and I bought me some Lysol. I'm not talking about the little can. I'm talking about the big can of Lysol. And I opened up his closet... And I sprayed his clothing down, and I used up the entire can of Lysol. His clothing was physically dripping with Lysol, okay? And I thought this might send a message. I tried to talk to him, but this might send a message more than that. And <laughs> it didn't. I, I don't understand dirty people. I can't even understand it. For as long, I, I don't know. But anyway, thankfully, he moved out the next semester, and I was done with it. I had to fumigate the room. He, we talk about nose blind. That's where I am. <laughs> you know what we are when we complain? We're blessing blind. We're blessing blind. L- look around, folks. This is what God gave you. I'm talking about church now. This is what God gave you. L- look around at all the abundant. <laughs> How can we be blessing blind? We ought to be humbled by the goodness of God. Go home to your house today and look around. Well, we don't live over in Timber Bend. Who cares? You have a nicer house than nine, and I don't even know where. You have a nicer house than 99.9% of the people who populate this planet. But we're blessing. It's got this, it's got the other, blah, 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 blah. You know what? There There are people in this world who'd give their right arm to live in your house. Wow, this car, what a piece of junk. There are people who never drive a car or own a car in their entire lives who will walk everywhere they go. I want you to, well, Pastor Ronnie, you know, it's it's too hot in here. At least we have some air conditioning, right? There are people in this world who will live their entire lives having never entered a place that's air conditioned. I'm saying we're, we're blessing blind. It comes when we have no gratitude in our heart. Now, remember what Paul said in this book? He said, you gotta think right if you're gonna have joy. Do you know one of the key steps to thinking right and producing joy is gratitude. I want everyone to look at me. I'm not a a psychologist at all. I'm a pastor. But I'll tell you this, I've read a lot about psychology. Every book I've ever read, and you, you test this and see if it's true, every book, every article I've ever read, said the beginning step for peace mentally and joy in the heart. The beginning step is to practice daily gratitude. And every psychologist will tell you, and by the way, they're just catching up with the Bible, because the Bible already said it. The Bible is our authority. But I'm saying to you that they've discovered, psychologically and medically, that if a person every single day practices gratitude, and they'll recommend write down three or four or five, six things that you're thankful for different every single day, and meditate on them, mull them over, they say it'll change your thinking. Do you know what it'll change? It'll change your complaining. It'll change your complaining. Someone called me up this week and said these words. Said, Preacher, I woke up in the morning. And this wasn't some person that's pious. Okay, because I read right through piety. This wasn't some person who's pious. Preacher, I woke up this morning. He said, he said, do you ever just get excited about God? 
This is someone I maybe wouldn't expect that from. Do you ever just get excited about God? And he said, I've got so much to be thankful for. And he went through a list of things. And he was radiating joy verbally over the phone. Where does it come from? It comes from a thankful heart. If I'm complaining, I'm very likely to not have a heart of gratitude. I'll look at everything as not good enough or, or sometimes fail to look for the good, but very easily I can spot the bad. Well, I've got more points, but I'm out of time. Here's what I want to suggest to you this evening. This beautiful book of Philippians that is the book of joy, and joy that comes from thinking biblically, right in the midst of what is going to be a polemic, a lengthy argument about thinking biblically in order to have joy in my heart, right in the midst of this, we're told we should think like Jesus, be like-minded to Jesus with humility. And right in the, the middle of that, the section of that, right bookmarking each end, is an admonition... Don't get into fights. Don't bicker. Don't carry on. And then at the end, the words, do all things without murmurings and disputings. Do you think there's a connection? There is. The things that I verbalize not only affect other people, they affect me. When I hear my own voice complaining, it turns my spirit down and inward and negative. When I hear my own voice rejoicing and praising God and saying how wonderful and thank God and isn't this amazing, wow, God has done wonderful things. When I say that verbally and hear that, my voice saying it, it lifts my spirit and I experience joy. It's not an odd thing then that in the middle of this passage of lofty exaltation of Christ, in the middle of this passage of being like-minded with Jesus were admonished to all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a perverse nation. We ever needed to be singing his praise, if we ever needed to stifle our tendency to complain and promote our tendency to praise and exalt him, it is today. Oh, Pastor Monty, we'll do it for the testimony of the church. Yeah, that'd be great. I'll do that for the testimony of the Lord. Yeah, that'd be wonderful. But how about this? I will do that so that joy will start to reign in my heart. Now, you be bitter old prune mad at everything, upset about everything, critical about everything. Eh, it should be this way. It should be that. Blah, blah. You, can do, you spend your whole life doing that. You go ahead, not me. I'm not interested in that. I want to praise my God for everything. Because the abundance, the comfort, the luxury is beyond the wildest imagination of 99% of this world. And you know what's going to happen? I'm going to have joy. You can be mad at the world, you're crossing around, bitter about everything, blah, blah, blah. You can do that all you want. Well, you shouldn't because the Bible says not to, but do that all you want and you'll be miserable. But praise God for all the good things of life and you can walk above the clouds. And Paul says that's a secret to our joy. Father, I pray you'll take the message and help us, Lord, tonight to to really see that the things that we verbalize affect people around us, but they also affect us. And Lord, the fact that we are not joyful 
may very well be because our mouths are out of control. And our mouths are out of control because our heart is out of control. And frankly, Lord, it's just not right with you. And Lord, I pray that you'll change us. I think everyone in the room, Lord, would love to have joy deep in their heart. It's not to say we won't go through some hard times, but Lord, they'll have joy to buoy them, to lift them up in those times. Father, I pray you'll help us to realize the biblical connection between that joy and adopting the mindset of Jesus and the things that we say. Connect those things together, Father. It'll help us. And I pray the Spirit of God would help us to grow beyond what is our human nature, fallen, sinful, destructive, to a place that brings glory to our Savior, the Lord Jesus. In his name we pray. Let's stand, everyone.